welcome everyone to another episode of Ascend and Transcend. I'm so excited for our guest today. It is David Pressler, somebody that I've known for the last few years and had the pleasure of learning from. He is a certified uh, parenting coach and his main struggle is to help parents manage power struggles at home, model respect for children, enhance self-control, self-motivation, and loving cooperation. And I think I speak for all parents that parenting is definitely the hardest job we have. And it can be hard to kind of stay in alignment with our spirit and what our soul is telling us to do, um, while also just getting the things done that need to happen every day with our children. So welcome, David. Thank you. Nice to be here, Elizabeth. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So David and I know each other through Miraval, uh, which is where I had my spiritual awakening. And David has worked for Miraval for a number of years. And tell us a little bit about your journey, how you kind of were able to wrap this passion for parenting and creating a more harmonious family into what you were already doing with Miraval. Certainly. Well, thank you. Uh, so I started actually at a resort called Canyon Ranch many years ago, and then uh, moved to, here to Austin, Texas. And as you know, Miraval has opened a new resort here in Austin. Uh, Miraval Austin. My my role was director of spa and integrative well-being. And I also had a passion for teaching parenting classes, which is something my wife and I did sort of on the side, more as a labor of love. And I approached Miraval and I said, I'd really like to bring this to the resort. I think there's definitely a need and a demand for teaching parenting, coaching parenting for our guests at Miraval. And certainly it has had a great response. I'm, I'm having uh, overwhelmingly positive reviews and response from our guests. So it's wonderful for me because it is truly my passion to teach and assist parents and working families uh, more about simple strategies that they can use in their lives to make parenting and the work-life balance uh, yeah. more seamless. And this was a spiritual calling, I feel like, because when we had first talked I was talking with David about some workshops that I would love to bring to Miraval, and you weren't really in this space. And then we had, as our relationship evolved, we had some more conversations about this. And so what was it that really kind of made you answer that spiritual calling to add this to your profession and then incorporate it at Miraval? Well, I think first and foremost in my own personal life, you know, realizing that I have a job, my wife has a job. And we're trying to raise children in the midst of both having full-time careers. And I thought, if if I'm struggling with this and tr and finding it hard to find a balance, and I work at Miraval uh, with <laughs> the most a lot balanced of resources, place ever. <laughs> yeah, with a lot of resources for wellness and well-being and the opportunities. And I just thought this is such a key component to the overall well-being uh, picture. And yeah. so I just approached them and said, I think this would be so valuable to bring what I've learned. Now, I have been using the, the, the methodology that I'm certified to teach. It's called redirecting children's behavior. We've been using this for over 18 years. Um, when I first met my wife, Kim, she had a son from her first marriage. And when I met her, I said, I don't know anything about parenting except for how I was parented. Right. Um, which is something that I will tell you, I didn't want to leave that legacy. <laughs> it had it had stuff to be desired, right? When you exactly. Take a look back. Yeah. Exactly. 
And many parents that I coach say similar things. You know, I I was raised and it wasn't textbook. And so help me find uh, better solutions. So that's where the position that I was in. And so Kim, uh, my wife, Kim, signed us up for this class called Redirecting Children's Behavior. And Elizabeth, I will tell you, was such a paradigm shift from how I was raised. I'm embarrassed to admit to you today that I said, the first thing I said to Kim is, this will never work. <laughs> giving the kids way too much power, way too much control over things. And I was completely wrong. I mean, nothing right now could be further from the truth in my own experience when empowerment for children is one of the keys to um, more successful uh, development within children. So, oh my God. Well, I definitely want to hear more about that. I feel like <laughs> I'm sure that you've heard some common struggles that parents have when they yes. come to your workshops. I can just tell you one of mine is I'm really trying not to be a yeller, but I find myself yelling, especially at our youngest who is six and very strong-willed is the PC way to say it. She pushes back. Mm -hmm. She's an Aries. She's a warrior. She gives zero fucks. She's like, you know what? I'm going to do what I want to do. Uh, and I don't care if you like it or not. And it's very hard because I try to redirect and empower. And then I started, you know, bribing. I went to the reward thing. And mm -hmm. now we're kind of back to yelling. So yeah. do you have any like quick tips or insights on what that is doing and how that might be exacerbating the issues? Absolutely. So children are constantly trying to communicate with us. This teaching is really based on the principle of children are communicating, and our job as adults, parents, is to become more aware of what they're trying to communicate with us in any moment. So when a child is pushing against you, they're basically saying, I don't feel like I have enough voice in this relationship. I need more choices. Because uh, so the, the communication is this is where a child is in what we call a power struggle mode. There's sure. a need to win. There's a battle going on. And you'll probably notice with the yelling that you described, when you raise your voice, what typically happens with your child? She raises her voice. Right. Yeah. And so where does that typically end? It doesn't end well for right. most parents. It doesn't. Because the voices escalate and then it becomes a fight and then everybody leaves with hurt feelings. So what yeah. we're going to do instead is give the child more empowerment, give the child more choices and then make agreements based on those choices. So Elizabeth, would you like to go to bed at seven or seven thirty? And and, and everything should really be a choice, right? Almost throughout Absolutely. the day, everything should be a choice, right? And so the more choices you can give a child, the better. Because I will, I could walk you through a little role play where we say, "Do you want to go to bed at seven or seven thirty? Do you want to take yeah. a bath or a shower?" Those types of choices, and it really gives the child a feeling of I'm in control here. The key, though, is to understand that the parent is providing the choices that they are comfortable with. So I'm saying, do you want to go to bed at 7 or 7.30? I'm not saying, when do you want to go to bed? Right. I'm not saying, do you want to go to bed at 7 or 10? Right. Both choices that I'm presenting to the child, I'm okay with, and, and preferably my co-parent, spouse, partner, whomever, is also on board with that. We've come to an agreement together first before presenting to the child. What if you're giving them options? Like, so let's use the dinner example. We'll ask our children what they want for dinner and we'll usually give them two options. And okay. sometimes they just flat out ignore us. And then I say, okay, well, then you're getting mac and cheese. You know what I mean? Like, then I make the decision and then they sit down mm -hmm. at dinner and they don't want to eat it. So if they're ignoring you, would you um, recommend like going and kind of getting in their physical space gently 
to get their attention? Um, well, I think I might back up a step. Okay. And I might suggest that during the grocery shopping phase, I mean, back that far. Oh. We're actually going to give the child choices. What types of things would you like to see for dinner? Do you want mac and cheese or do you want chicken yeah. or do you want? And what I really encourage parents to do is involve the children in the grocery shopping process as well. Okay. And then give them choices for things like vegetables. Um, yeah. Research shows, and I work, I do a lot of work with nutritionists, obviously at Miraval as well. Mm-hmm. But per, uh, getting children to participate in the food prep process is very important in the child taking ownership of the meal and being more interested in eating what they're preparing. And there's a lot of research around that, that if you, if you involve the child in the process of meal prep, they become more interested in the food. My son, Julian, who's nine, he'll eat vegetables all throughout the food prep process. Um, and I never really have to force vegetables on him because as he's cutting things like red bell pepper, he'll eat it. Yeah. And it's just his own his own doing. I'm not I'm not forcing that in any way. That's a great idea. I mean, I I used to involve them in grocery shopping and then when, you know, the pandemic hit, there was a lot of Instacart going on, but I guess even then, even if you're getting your groceries delivered, they could still be a part of the ordering process and helping you pick things out. Because again, we want to give children the choices. Do you, do you want this or that? Do you and then yeah. when they when they feel like they had a say so in it, you know, then I think the presentation at dinner time then. Yeah. Hey, remember when we were at the store, would you like chicken or fish tonight? Yeah. You know, and they'll pick one. David, what about things that they're really it's not really an option, like homework and brushing teeth? Mm-hmm. Do you still then is it like take them to I, I've taken them to let them pick out their toothbrushes, to pick pick out their toothpaste, but when it comes down to it, it's usually still a battle to get them to brush their teeth at least long enough. Um, and then to do homework, there's still this is mainly with the six-year-old, but there's still a lot of pushback. And this is like a you have to do it, period. And so right. What suggestions would you have around some of those that are non-negotiable? It has to be done. Well, a couple of things. Um, We could probably spend a whole session on this. Uh, (laughs) But a couple of things. If a child is in a power struggle mode, they're going to find every opportunity to push against you. So the pushback for most children is because they're trying to find an opportunity to control some aspect of their life. Okay. And things like teeth, brushing teeth becomes an easy one to say, you're not going to make me do that. And I'm going to show you I have some power and control in this relationship by saying, I'm just not doing it. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, there's two parts of this. There's one thing that's called natural consequences. Yeah. Right. And there's one thing that's called, some people call it logical consequences, or we call it chosen consequences. And I'll go through each of those if we have enough time. Yeah. But so a, a logical consequence, I'll give you a quick story. My son Vaughn, when he was in third grade, he said, I'm not doing my homework. And I said, okay, don't do your homework. So he went to school the next day and I know his teacher very well. I knew exactly what she was going to do. Yeah. <laughs> so she said, if you didn't do your homework, you'll have to stay in at recess. While all the other kids are playing, you're going to be doing this work because everyone has to finish their work. So that's a natural consequence. Now, I would also encourage parents not to give the child a second consequence at home. The consequence at school, it becomes between him and his teacher, and that's the more important consequence. Because what it showed him is I have to do this work, and it's not my dad or mom telling me I have to do this work. This is an expectation at my school. 
Now, what's important about that, Elizabeth, is we want to teach the child very early on that the grades are his responsibility and he should be Mm. internally motivated to do the work, not externally motivated. Externally motivated was, I'm making you do this work. That's an external motivation. And it doesn't last. It doesn't work very well and it doesn't last very long. But then will the teachers start getting frustrated with you for, quote unquote, not parenting and making sure that their homework's done? No, no, I would, you know, I would, I would be, I'm very much involved and I would probably also be talking with the teacher about uh, strategies. Him or her. Yeah. Right. But what I want him to start to learn is this work is your work Mm -hmm. and this is your responsibility at school. I will help you, coach you, guide you, mentor you. I'll provide any assistance that you need, but this is the expectation, but Mm -hmm. making him do it, he's going to push against me. So what I want to start to teach him is there's a natural consequence for not getting this work done. Yeah. And I will tell you that recently he had a situation in school. He's now in eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And he reached out to his teacher on his own and said, I need to do this work. I know what the expectation is. Will you help me? And she emailed me and said, you know, this is unusual that a child's taking this much responsibility. And so that's what this work teaches is we want the child to be self-regulated, self-motivated, and self-disciplined yeah. uh, to, to do things like homework and brushing teeth. Now, a natural consequence, obviously, in brushing teeth is cavities. Which is a parent I don't want to deal with. <laughs> exactly. Like, but I, I, I think that you're, I totally am picking up what you're putting down here. Like if they have a million choices throughout the day, maybe the toothbrushing won't be such, maybe that isn't where they dig their heels in because they feel empowered in so many other areas throughout the day. They have choices. Mm-hmm. And to your point, you know, we do have friends, kids who've had to have cavities and the kids will tell the kids yeah. how awful it was. So it's like, okay, then maybe I don't need to do this. What if you have two children and one child, this is my, this is a first child, which, you know, most, a lot of people have, and she is a rule follower. She does Mm -hmm. everything. There is no power struggle with her and it's the younger one. So I find myself catching um, when I start to compare them. So what does kind of going down that path of comparison ultimately do? Well, one of the things that I really believe in is children are here on, they they have come into this world on their own path with their own journey. Yeah. And I think a big uh, mistake that a lot of parents make is parenting children sort of in a one size fits all mentality. So we really, the first thing to do is acknowledge and become aware of the child's differences. What you want to say as a parent is, let me see who you are. Show me who you are. Show me your spirit. Show me why you're here. And how can I, as your parent, best support you on your journey to being the best you? Because a lot of times, too, Elizabeth, I think children are pushing against. I I know I'm a dad, right? So I know this happens a lot. Dads tend to push their kids into things that they did as children or wanted to do, um, both, you know, things like sports. I Mm. was a swimmer, so I want you to be a swimmer. Yeah. I was a football player, so... And what the child will push against that and say, I don't want to do that. That's not me. That's not who I am. Please see me for who I am. Please see my true spirit. And so a lot of times this quote unquote misbehavior or pushing against is the child basically trying to communicate with you is you're not seeing the real me. You're not seeing who I am. And I want you to see that. So a lot of times when a parent tells me, oh, he doesn't want to take, um, you know, he doesn't want to play sports. 
Well, what does he like to do? Well, he loves the piano. Well, let's support him in that. Right. Yeah, totally. They're not mini yous. They're not reflections of you. To your point, they're their own spirits. They're on their own journey. And when we try to project ourselves on that or try to take some sort of, you know, I don't want to say like responsibility or credit for that is when we get into dangerous (laughs) waters, right? They're not a reflection of you. That is, I feel like the biggest thing that a lot of, that a lot of the people I speak with too, it's really hard to kind of grasp that. Yeah. And the other thing that I think is really brilliant, uh, and my children have certainly done this with me, is children are, can teach us as much as we teach them. You know, one of the things I tell our Miraval guests quite often, Elizabeth, is children come and they're in the moment, they're living for joy, they're looking for the next joyful moment, right? All yeah. the time. And Brene Brown tells a really fun story about her son seeking joy in school. And, you know, that's what kids are wired up to do. We take a lot of that away from children. And then they have to return to Miraval to get it back. Well, that's the thing. Right. As adults. They're returning to Miraval to say, "Let let me learn how to live in the moment. Children know how to do this instinctively. Children are very much in the moment. Yeah. I think about any time your child is involved in an activity they love, they get lost in time. That's actually a good thing. So we want to support that and help them with that and not punish them for things like that. I, I totally agree. I, I, you know, call my daughters angels all the time because they, I mean, they really are. And it it, it isn't a behavior reference, you know, it's just, you are, you're this little spirit here and you're not mine and I don't own you. I'm here. I was, you know, given the opportunity to kind of steward you through these years where you do need somebody else, but I'm, you are not mine. I am not yours. Uh, This is really just us getting to enjoy each other in these present moments while we're here. Beautifully said. And it's easy to say that, (laughs) you know, when I'm (laughs) in my office and they're at school and, you know, we haven't had a rough day. So I think this is the other piece. And, And David and I had a chat before we came on and we did just want to preface, right? This isn't a judgment. This conversation today is just another point of view. It's another perspective from a professional. But neither one of us are sitting here saying this is what this is how you should and have to parent, right? Right, absolutely. And and I I am not the perfect dad. You know, I make mistakes. But I, when I wake up every day and say, how can I be better than I was yesterday? How can I do this better than I did yesterday? And how can I honor their spirits, their, my children? Mm-hmm. And so the visitors to Miraval, what would you say is the number one thing that they're grappling with when they come to take one of your parenting workshops? It's definitely a career work-life balance along with parenting. Mm. And so many people are trying to pursue, uh, continuing to pursue careers. They started out of college and they have children and the struggle that I find most people in is how do I effectively parent my children and maintain my career and the demands of that along with demands of my relationship, my marriage, et cetera. So it becomes a lot. And so what we're looking to do in the class is is show people small little changes you can make that make a big difference. Hmm. Like what's a couple of examples? Well, I think um, a lot of, a lot of parents get lost in the, the quality versus quantity of time. Mm. A lot of parents think that a lot of time is required to show their children love and attention and affection. But what's more important for most children is the quality, the distraction-free. In other words, put your phone away, 
turn the computer off, turn the television off and focus on the child and what they're interested in. So many parents come to me and say, for example, my children play video games and I can't stand those. But if there was something that you loved and I said, Elizabeth, I really don't love that. And I, I prefer that you didn't do that. It would probably hurt your heart. Yeah. So simple things like taking an interest in what children are interested in and focusing that on that time and attention. There was a story recently. The, the other thing that I was going to mention is parents think that it has to be a big event, you know, that they have to take children on these big vacations. There was a story recently uh, that I read about a, a woman whose favorite, uh, a child whose favorite moment with her mom was having cereal for breakfast together in the morning. Something so simple. Oh my gosh. But it was more that. meaningful than the vacations and all those things. It's those simple little things like pay attention to me, see me for who I am and spend this quality time with me. And that means a lot to kids. And I think that's where we can create those little bridges that make a big difference. I totally agree. And I can tell you that, you know, 90% of the clients that I work with, they all have, you know, big jobs, right? They have a lot of responsibility. They're burning Mm -hmm. the candle at both ends and they're getting maybe a half an hour to an hour with their children um, at night, you know, in the morning it's a flurry and sometimes they have help to kind of get the kids out the door and nobody's saying, you know, don't take the help when you need it or the support. But if you're lucky enough to have a partner as well, and I'm speaking, you know, to women and men, but I think most likely, you know, the women will kind of take it a little, a little bit more of the mental load, um, at home, but tag them in, you know, this morning, Vivi had this little rash on her leg and I had this recording set and I immediately thought, oh, I'm going to have to move that. And I hate breaking commitments. You know what? No, my husband moved his schedule around and now he's taking her an hour and a half away to this doctor. <laughs> like, But I think a lot of times we just are martyrs. We'll like, well, I'll do this and I'll sacrifice. Ask for help. And if you can't, you know, maybe look at outsourcing and hiring some help. But to your point, Find those little nuggets of time when it can really be quality. For Vivian, it's, you know, she was waking up like a little bit earlier than everybody else. And she was going downstairs and she was just turning on the TV until we all came down. And now it's about, okay, well, when you wake up, you come in mommy's room and you snuggle. And so she'll snuggle there for 15 minutes. And she is just a chatterbox in the morning. She's got so much to say. And that was 15 minutes that... Yeah, I could have been making my coffee in peace or whatever, but I'm home all day. I have plenty of moments to make my coffee in peace after she's, mm-hmm. you know, been taken to school. But it is little things like that. It's it's 10 minutes. And to your point, yeah. the phone, it's I think it is good to teach children patience, but I think we're teaching them patience to the phone, right? Like this is right. my God. This trumps mm-hmm. your need for attention. And yeah. yes, they need to be patient, but not to the phone, right? So find those little nuggets. They're there. I think what you're doing is absolutely brilliant. You know, to spend that little quality time, those are the memories that children will have. I got that 15 minutes of cuddle time with mommy before work. And it fills their little hearts, fills their little tanks with love. And then they can go about their day knowing that they're loved, they're honored, they're respected. And those are the needs, the basic needs that children need to have met. Now your, your child went to school and they have a happy heart. Yeah. Right. And it filled my heart. I mean, this is the other thing, you know, there's so much guilt going around. There's so much parental guilt and mom guilt mm-hmm. and all of this. And I'm sure 
Most of the guests that are at Miraval feel guilty that they're there and not spending time oh, with their children. You know, they're trying mm-hmm. to kind of replenish this tank that's been dry for years. But to your point, like, yeah, it was great for her, but it was great for me. Like it that yeah. chipped away at some guilt. And if I do have to take a client call late, and if she does get 30 minutes of screen time tonight extra, I'm not going to feel as bad about it because I know that I got some time with her. And then it feels like it, it snowballs you know, once you do start spending that time with them. And a couple other techniques along with that one that I love is involve children in tasks with you. Yeah. So for example, my son, Julian, he loves to be in the kitchen with me. And so he'll, I'll have him do things simple like wash and cut. Now he's nine. So he can um, really, he's very helpful. But when, when he was as young as three, you know, he would simply wash the vegetables for me. Yeah. Right. And there was a connection time with me that we laughed and we had so much fun. And he still talks about those days. You remember when, you know, we yeah. did this in the kitchen when I was little? And so those moments of connection, Elizabeth, become very important. And when, instead of looking like I have to go do this big event and spend all this time, simply continuing your normal chores of like food preparation for the family, but involve the children, talk to them about their day. How, yeah. how are you feeling? You know, those. Right. And to your point, difference. like vacuuming and dusting. Those are all things that, you know, I read an article about, you know, how to not raise an entitled child. And that's a big piece of it. Loading the dishwasher like those kind of things. And yeah, you can be there to monitor and you can be having a conversation and helping out. But kids usually jump at the chance to do that. Like our kids love putting new trash bags in the trash can now, like little things, you know, that, um, we just would do ourselves or folding laundry. Now we'll all stand around and, and fold a pile. And and that's not every time. I'm not trying to say that we're this Brady, right. you know, like kumbaya every moment. That's not <laughs> it. Some days but when you're, you're trying to create those connections on moments of opportunity, how can I connect with my child today? Right. If I have a busy day, I can, I can interact with the child in this way. And the other thing I would say, along with the laundry and things that you're doing with your family, which is wonderful, make it fun. Yeah. Put on some fun music, right. dance around the living room, vacuum yeah. while you're dancing, show them that, you know, mommy can have fun doing these things and be a role model for them that these chores don't have to be drudgery. You know, right. we can have a fun time getting the work done. And I also love what you're saying. I really believe in the, in the principle of children should participate in the activities of keeping up the home. It's our mm-hmm. home. So. Right. How important is it to have specifically one-on-one time if you have um, multiple children? I, I would say as much as you can. Uh, at least, uh, again, what I would say is uh, find an interest that the specific child has and try to spend one-on-one time doing that, even if it's a short period of time, 15 or 20 minutes. But show that child that you're interested in what they're interested in and you can make specific time. I know a lot of parents struggle with this when they have multiple two, yeah. three, four, you know, as many as sometimes five children. How am I going to do with five children? Um, this is where I would also ask my spouse for support. Yeah. And say on Saturday, I'm going to take uh, our child, you know, the, the oldest child to the park. Could you watch the, the younger ones? And then we'll switch right. and those types of things. So look for those opportunities to uh, 
yeah. to, to tag team, I think, to use your phrase before, yeah. tag in. Or to your point, take one of them to Costco. Like my husband does mm-hmm. the Costco every, you know, he does the Costco run every Saturday. And it's like, okay, we'll just take one. And I think, you know, when you feel like you're in a bit of survival mode, it's like, we'll just take them both so one of us can at least get a full break. But to your point, I find my children are much better behaved when they're apart. Like there is no fighting and they are just drinking up that attention. So even if it's, you know, you're going to Starbucks or it's your coffee run and you're just going through the drive through just grab a kid, just one, yes. just grab one, <laughs> toss love, him yeah. in the car, grab, grab a kid. Yeah. yeah. And then, and but then the, it's that one-on-one time that's going to be so meaningful to them because the, the, the fact that during the drive through to and from Starbucks or Costco or wherever you go, make it about them. How is your day? How are you feeling? How can I, you know, one of the things I wake up every day and I ask my wife and my kids, how can I love you best today? Yeah. How can I love you best today? That's amazing. It's not about me. It's about what do you need from me as your dad, as your husband? Right. How can I love you best? It's so great. And ask them. Yeah. To say like, what am I not doing that you wish I was doing? And yeah, or sometimes it's something simple, like, mm-hmm. gosh, I'd really love, you know, a cupcake after dinner. Mm-hmm. Okay. If that's what loving you best today looks like, then fantastic. <laughs> that could be dangerous. So, most of the time with kids, it's really simple stuff. Yeah. You'll find that it's really simple stuff. And they just appreciate the opportunity to say, have their parents say, how can I love you best today? What can I do to make your yeah. day brighter? I love that. And I'm I'm going to kind of like play the role of our listener here too. And they might be saying, I mean, I just have so much. So what what do yeah. what are some tips for parents that just feel like they're kind of drowning? To your point, first off, do you believe that there can be work-life balance? And then if you're in this place, if you're in a survival mode, what are some of your like best tips to just kind of like do, hit a reset button? Well, you said it best earlier. Ask for help. Yeah. Number one, if you feel like you're really drowning and look for opportunities, if you can have a nanny or a housekeeper or grandparents or neighbors or friends or anybody, uh, aunts, uncles, anybody that you can call into the mix to say, help me out for a little bit. One of the things I tell all parents, but specifically moms, practice self-care. You have to build in time for yourself during the day because if you're drowning and you feel like I'm just giving all day long, that's not going to last very long. And the time that you do give anyone, husband, coworkers, children, is going to be less than, you know, uh, give the world the best you, not what's left of you. Right. And we don't have to be martyrs, women. I mean, I feel like this no. too. It's it's like a, almost, it's a badge of honor how busy you are, how drained you are. Mm-hmm. I hear it from girlfriends all the time and, and clients too. And especially when I say, you know, a couple of months ago, I adopted a four-day work week. I just don't work on Fridays. If I feel like yeah. it, I will do it. And it's different, right? I'm in, I'm in an entrepreneurial space, so I can do that. But I think that there, there does have to be dedicated time for you before you get to the point where you've got what I call like the dusty cup, right? There's no water in it, and there hasn't been water in it for years because for you and I both believe that can manifest into a physical chronic illness, that can, Absolutely. it will come out some way. So it's not a victimless crime when you're not right. doing self-care. It'll show up in your relationship. It'll show up with your children. It'll show up in your health for sure. And then we're also modeling for them, correct? We're 100%. saying mommy doesn't deserve time for herself. So as you grow, you know what? This is how you should do it too. You're, you yep. should just give all of yourself. Especially moms teaching daughters the same pattern. What you want to role model for them is mommy needs time to take care of her. Yeah. 
And I want you to take care of you same way. Yeah. I'll specifically tell them, I mean, they, even if they're watching a show or something, I will interrupt the show and say, mommy's going to meditate, you know, or mommy's going for a run or whatever, because they have, they, it's important that they see me taking time for myself. So I think like make the announcement, right? And maybe they'll come back and they'll be like, oh, I want to go too. Or so sometimes I'll take them on the walk with me, but sometimes I will say, you know what? I just need to run. Like I, I, I need to get out of this house and, and they understand that, that I need alone time and that that's okay. But I think that there's a big difference between taking alone time or standing in the kitchen on your phone when they're trying to get your attention. Exactly. And I think if you give that attention, that time and attention, they're much more willing to, uh, to understand. Because if you, I always teach parents to fill their tanks first, meaning mm-hmm. have, take that 10 or 15 minutes, like you said, that 15 minutes of cuddle time in the morning. That goes a long way to filling their little tanks with love. And then when you are on the phone in the afternoon, they'll be much more understanding. So we talked a little bit about this concept of conscious parenting. Um, We chatted Mm -hmm. before we hopped on today. And I would love for you to kind of expand on that. It's definitely something that has been introduced, this language, over the last couple of years. But I would love to hear your thoughts on, you know, what that is and how best to, to model that. So... From my perspective, what conscious parenting, the whole notion of conscious parenting revolves around the notion that most dysfunction, any disharmony, any quote unquote misbehavior, I use that term somewhat loosely, with children is based on the fact that there's some unmet emotional needs in their childhood. Hmm. And I'll give you a very subtle and simple example of that. You come home, the phone rings. Most children will say, mommy, 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 mommy. As soon as you get on that phone, they need you. Basically, conscious parenting is I'm going to become more aware of what the child is really asking me for in that moment because they're really not trying to interrupt you. What they're trying to say is I need to still feel important. I need to feel as important as whoever you're on that phone with, right? So we teach a very simple technique to hold the child while you're still on the phone. Hold the child and show them nonverbal love. And what you want to do in that moment is just say, I love you. I'm here for you. I'm always here for you. And most of the time, in my experience, the child will run away in one or two minutes. They don't stay very long because they got what they came for. So conscious parenting is becoming more aware, more conscious of what a child is really asking for in any particular moment and being able to say, I see what you're asking for and I can give that to you right now. And I can do it in a very productive way with no yelling, no shaming, no guilt, no punishment. And and what about for the people, you know, our generation before some, I'm an elder millennial um, who, when my dad was on the phone, I did the same thing and he would just lift up the hand, right? Like, get out of here. Yeah. I'm on a work call yeah. or you're going to get a spanking. And that was what, you know, you were kind of grown up with. So it's, it feels like it's this delicate balance of having boundaries with them, right? To like respect my space. I'm on the phone. This is not appropriate behavior. And then also giving in. So I know we don't want to like keep these generational, which are really. Right. Because what what message do you send when you basically tell a child? Right. That they're not important. Whatever I'm doing, that they're not important. Yeah. That you don't matter to me right now. What what matters to me is this phone call. So what we want to do instead is show them that they are important to us. But also when we hang up that phone, What we're going to do is approach the child in a very loving way and say, if you need my attention, I'm on the phone. Here's what that would look like. Mm. Okay. Right. 
And so we want to have a more, uh, we want to have a conversation. This is not a punishment. This is not yelling at the child. We want to have a conversation about how to ask for my attention in an appropriate way. Hmm. And if I'm on a business call, what's our agreement? I think yeah. making agreements with ch- children are is critical in the proper development. I think, too, we need to let go of the fear of external judgment, right? So if, the, if my big thing is then when I'm on the phone with my dad, we're FaceTiming, right? I was disciplined very differently. And a kid comes up and interrupts or is pulling on me. I almost feel like I need to be more stern to the child in front of him. Or, or if a child misbehaves on a play date and isn't listening, I find myself being much more strict with them. And like, just so people know that I'm not one of these pushover parents where mm. the kid is ruling the house, you know, it's, it's us that are in charge. And it feels the, like, a, like it's a tightrope. Here's the fascinating part about this work, Elizabeth. I have found in my own personal experience that when you give children the love and attention and respect they need in the short term, over the long term, all this stuff works itself out automatically or autom- automagically, as my youngest says, is because they don't feel like they're fighting for your attention all the time. They don't feel like they're fighting for, show me that I'm important to you. And my sons will walk into the room and see me on a call like this, for example, and they'll just turn and walk away knowing dad's on a work call. But I know that when dad hangs up that phone, He'll come and meet our needs. Right. Right. Yeah. So it it's not about the child ruling the house or or his needs. Uh, the child's needs is more important than what I'm doing right now. But it's finding that balance of showing the child that they're important mm-hmm. and there's unconditional love for them. So I'm, I know we're on the same side of the fence of this, but I feel like we need to address it too. As far as like physical discipline, and I'm not really even talking like you know, hardcore spanking. I don't, I feel like most people have really realized that that is kind of a humiliation and right. it's a shame mm-hmm. that you don't want to perpetuate. But I have found myself, you know, when Vivi's just really in it, right? She's just going like, she's like a lunatic, right? She's just really in her emotion. She's having a tantrum. I have, you know, not really hardly grabbed her arm, but I have had this a physical contact to try to kind of break her out of it. If a child is having a tantrum or is really out of their mind, what is your best suggestion as far as how to handle that? Um, always keep the child safe. Right. No matter what, 100%. The child's safety is, is very important. So we don't harm the child in any way. Um, the second thing is the amygdala gets triggered. Uh, the amygdala is that part of our brain that puts us in fight or flight. Once that gets triggered in children or adults, I'm sure you've right. noticed this with when you in a disagreement with an adult, even once that fight or flight gets stimulated in a brain, it's very hard to do anything logical or rational with any, any person. So the first thing I would suggest is trying to let the child calm down in the best way possible. Mm. If you can hold the child lovingly, that would be my recommendation yeah. slowly and let the child calm down so that because in that moment, there's nothing that you're going to be able to do that's productive mm. um, in terms of having any sort of conversation. So that would be my first. And then show the child um, love in a, in a very gentle, nonverbal way right? We just want to hold the child and let the child calm down to the point where we can start to 
to look at the situation a little bit more mm -hmm. uh, logically and reasonably. So ignoring them or walking away from them or putting in a time out, are those all really kind of things that are shame inducing then? You're shaming them for a certain behavior? Well, <clears throat> let's take a look at time out for a second. If a child is coming to you with an intention seeking behavior, that means, mommy, I'm not feeling like I'm connected with you. I feel like I need more of you. I'm acting out because what I'm asking you for is more attention. In that mode, in that moment, we would take that child and isolate them, put them in a room by themselves. That's making that situation worse. So when the child comes out of that timeout, they're really going to ramp it up the next opportunity they get because we're, this is where conscious parenting becomes so critical. It's because we want to become more aware of what is the child asking me for in the first place. Right. This is what I call the behavior punishment cycle. So the child that um, displays a behavior, we put them in timeout. They display the behavior, we put them in timeout. It's just a never-ending loop. Instead of saying, what is the child really asking me for? How can I meet that need as their parent? What would that look like to them? And you'll see that these things calm down so easily and, and effortlessly in most cases. So I'm guessing you aren't a, um, a fan of that book, One, Two, Three Magic, <laughs> the counting. No, um, no I don't like the counting. <laughs> <laughs> that surprisingly was one that we kind of enacted with Vivian, who's been, you know, our strong-willed child. And usually by the time I get to two, she knocks it off. But the repercussion is a timeout, which again, I have struggled with as well. And like a mm -hmm. six or seven minute timeout is a long time to be excluded yeah, from time. the family. So that's okay. So no one, two, three magic. So the other, thing, <laughs> the other thing that I really teach, and the, 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 there's a segue here, so I promise I'll, I'll get to this point. But one of the things I, I teach is practice mutual respect. A lot of parents will come to me and say, my children are disrespectful when they talk to me. That's a big They're one. sassy. They talk back, right? And the first thing I say is, how do you talk to them, right? So as an adult, if I were to say, Elizabeth, that's one, how do you feel? Right. It's demeaning. Well, and then in school, David, they have they have like the, the discipline chart, right? Where they're green and then they go to yellow and orange and red. Like it's an, it's an open shaming of the child's behavior. And there have been articles written how as adults, could you imagine at work if you were on a chart? And you moved from green to yellow. So a lot of this is really deep-seated and entwined in our public and, and, and private mm -hmm. school systems. So there's- This is where so much of us shift, I think, is necessary in this, mm -hmm. the public shaming like that, yes. I think, really. It really yeah. is. And that's yeah. such a great perspective. So instead, just kind of double down. I think a lot of times they just need a hug. Sometimes when they're really- acting out, Ryan or I will say like, do you just need a hug? And nine times out of 10, they nod yes. And we will yeah. hug them. And then, but mm -hmm. then, you know, I can think, well, if a grandparent sees that, they're going to think we're rewarding this behavior, that the the unsavory behavior. Yeah. But I think this is the paradigm shift really, Elizabeth, is the behavior is based on the fact. So I, I go, I do this little role play where, where I'll say, you know, mommy, 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 mommy. But what the child is really trying to say is, I, I need to connect with you. I, I, I don't feel connected. I need a little, uh, I need a hug. I need a little heart connection. And when we give the child what they, what they need in that moment, the behavior dissipates because there's no, there's, there's nothing. They got what they needed from you. Right. And I think the hug is what they really want and need. 
And so it's not rewarding the behavior. It's actually solving their basic human emotional need of feeling connected. And by the way, something tells me that would like quell most adults issues too. (laughs) I mean, at the end of the day, it's love, right? It always comes back to love and this wanting to be loved and wanting to express love and feel it expressed towards you. So, I mean, really anytime anybody's having, um, you know, a tantrum and they probably just need a hug, even adults. And when we were yelling at Vivi to try to just, you know, and, and my husband, you know, like me, you know, at times he gets very frustrated and, and his voice will raise. And I try to tell him, you know, he's six, six. And I say, they're little, these are, they're little in stature. And so when an adult is coming over them and having a loud, deep voice to intimidate them and control them, that is something that could set them up, especially little girls for a very dangerous expectation of future relationships with partners. And not only partners, but other authority figures. So one of the questions that I ask most parents is, you know, do all authority figures always have our kids' best interest in mind? I mean, I think there's many examples of no, they do not. Absolutely. So one of the things I coach parents on, uh, a phrase that I try to encourage parents not to use is, Elizabeth, if you're a good girl and do this, then I'll give you that, right? Right. If you're a good girl. So the problem with that is you're setting it up. First of all, there's an implication if if I don't do this, I'm bad. And so we don't want to teach kids to, uh, and this is the other thing about punishment reward systems that I that I ask parents to use them very sparingly and very cautiously because we don't want to set children up to please authority figures in any way, whether that's based on a punishment or a reward system. Ooh, David, (laughs) you're calling me out. I do. We definitely have a treasure box and they earn things throughout the week. And when they get a certain amount of, you know, coins, they can go to the treasure box. Um, So is that bad too? Well, I think if, again, I'm not totally against reward systems, but I, I would say use them very sparingly and very cautiously. What I what I hear often from parents is, if, if you do this, I'll give you this. Yeah. Or if you empty the dishwasher, it's worth a dollar. If you get an A, it's worth five dollars. If you, you know, where does that end? And you're really not teaching the child any internal motivation. In other words, helping clean the house should be something I'm proud to live here and I'm proud to be part of this family. And I want to participate in this activity because it's meaningful to the family and I have value and I'm showing that I I have a purpose and place in this family. Mm -hmm. That's way more important than the reward of, because when the reward goes away, where does the motivation go? And there might be a time where there's a, a learning curve, right? Like if this, if you do have to change this behavior, so say if we take away the treasure box, I'm going to expect to feel some pushback from them in the beginning. So that would be, yeah, we would have to have a conversation about how to replace the treasure box uh, mentality. But I don't, it's not that I don't believe in those types of things. I mean, I think that there's a place for it. And certainly what we do in our home, for example, is there are certain chores and activities that the children participate in just as being part of the family. Mm-hmm. But then there's those over and above chores that they actually get an allowance for, yeah. you know, so because we do also want to teach about the value of money and all those kinds of principles. But I just say use them very sparingly and cautiously and, and uh, intentionally. So we'll kind of wrap this up with something that I know okay. that you're in alignment with me on is that they are little spiritual beings. And yes. um I think we should see them as that and treat them that way. They really aren't these little adults that have the same set of responsibilities we do. And 
to, to be conscious of that. And I, uh, especially with my children, you know, they know that when I go to meditate, it's a wonderful time for me to connect with my angel guides and ancestors who are here guiding me. I think it's important that they know that they have a team as well. So yes, at night, um, you know, when I was little, it would say your prayers and it was more of, uh, you know, you better do this or you're going to be judged kind of a thing in this Catholicism. But one thing that has really been great with our daughters is we talk about seeing angel signs, right? They each have these assigned angel signs and, you know, and when they see it, it means that their guardian angel is close and that they have this wonderful team of great grandparents that are, you know, in heaven and they're helping them. And so at night, you know, we still have monitors in the room. <laughs> and I'll listen to my nine-year-old. And when I, when I leave, she talks to her guides for like a solid 15 to 20 minutes. And she tells them about her day and she asks for help with certain things. And I think that it's so great for children to start embracing this at a young age to know that they're not alone. It's not them against the parents or them against something at right. school. It's you are divinely guided and there are angels yeah. that you can call on, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to suggest too, what during your meditation time, encourage them to have some time like yes. that for themselves as well. They do. That's a great practice to get. Yeah. Vivian actually will lay with me and we'll do a chakra balancing. And so that's, you know, it's, it's let it's mantra led and it's spoken. And she, the other day, laid there for 45 minutes. And I said, how do you feel after? <laughs> she said, I feel great, mommy. And I was like, great, yeah. both of our chakras are balanced. So yeah. I think that it's great. And even if you have to get some fun little, you know, ear cozy headphones off Amazon to make it fun or get them a meditation pillow or an oil diffuser so that they do it, or it's just quiet time in their room. To your point, they're being told what to do all day, every day. So yeah. decompression can look like watching a show sometimes, but sometimes it's just being in their room by themselves and they're the only person they have to answer to. I tell parents that frequently, go sit with your child in school, especially elementary school age children for a day and watch how many instructions, oh. how many rules that they have to follow. Right. You know, and then you'll have a much deeper appreciation for what the child went through during their day. I'm usually much more patient after I have a couple of those days at school. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing your genius with us, David. You've definitely planted some seeds, not only in me, but no doubt lots of listeners. Why don't you tell everyone where they can get more information about your parenting coachings and then your workshops um, as well and at Miraval? Yes. So currently I'm teaching three days a week at Miraval Austin Resort. So uh, miravalresorts.com website, uh, there are day passes available. So you can come just for a day to Miraval Austin if you're local. So uh, we consider that here in Texas, Houston, Dallas, San Antonio markets, all within driving distance. Nice. And I also have a personal coaching business with my wife, Kim. We call it dkpreslar.com. So dkpreslar.com. And you can get more information about uh, websites and private coaching. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much again, David. And I feel like this will be a two-parter at some point. There's, I'm sure we're going to get some feedback and some questions. Maybe next time we can pull the audience and get some questions and come back and have another lovely discussion. So thank you for your time today. I'd be honored. I enjoy your time. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thank you.